Good morning. So I am going to start today by asking once again if anyone has memorized Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and you want to say it to the whole congregation, it's a smaller group, so it wouldn't be so frightening. You may do so today. Anybody uh, ready to do that? Oh, Noah. Noad, sorry. I got my mind on Noah this morning. good. You had to do it at some point, so that's good. Anybody else? Okay, if not, next week. All right, so we are, uh, Noah mentioned in, in the verse that he is the author and finisher of our faith, and we're looking at the chapter of faith this morning. We started a couple of weeks ago, we're in our third section of chapter 11 of Hebrews. So if you have your... Um, Outline, please uh, follow along with me, fill it in as we go, and um, let's get started. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So the first item on your outline is this. Faith believes God's warnings about future events. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. So there are future events in Noah's life. God warns him about them. And uh, he believes God. So I want to, if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 6. Let's read the warning that God gave to Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth." Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks." And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Before you can have faith, you have to have the word of God. The word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and Faith requires the Word of God for direction. 
and Noah got it. We just read it. Based on what God said, Noah was warned about the future. And Noah listened. And God spoke about things not yet seen. There had never been any rain on the earth. The Bible tells us that that the way the plants grew was from a, a mist that came up from the water, from the, uh, from the earth. Certainly there had never been a flood. There had certainly never been a ship like this. There were no building materials. There were no hardware stores. There were no lumber mills. And yet God called Noah to build an ark. God warned Noah... There we go. That he was going to destroy the earth with a flood. Noah was not a shipbuilder. So he had to believe God that God would give him the skill and on his first try, his boat, the ark, would have to stay afloat for as long as God needed it. The ark was roughly 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet wide. 96 thousand square feet of floor space, 1.3 million cubic feet of cargo room. Noah was warned about the future, and he took the warning seriously. Now, the rest of the story demonstrates that he had faith. So next on your outline, faith causes action. It says in verse 7, the part, second part of verse 7, Noah moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Faith is the cause. Action is the result. Noah believed God's warning and took action. That's faith. So when God says something in his word and we believe it, we are showing that we fear God. Noah feared God and it caused him to build the ark. We have respect and awe for God's word. But if we hear God's word and we do nothing, it shows that we are holding God in contempt. We do not have faith. We do not believe. The moment Noah cut down his first gopher wood tree, he demonstrated faith. And that faith continued every time he chopped down a new tree. It sustained him every time he applied pitch on the inside and the outside of the ark to make it watertight. Every time he fit two pieces of wood together, he demonstrated he believed God. And for a hundred years, Noah lived out his faith in his daily life. Now, we speak about Noah having three sons and how they helped him out in building the ark because he needed some help, but... When he started the ark, he was alone. He was, um, if you look at the chronological details of the chapters, we'll find that he had his sons after he started the ark. So maybe they got to be 20 and they started helping him. But for a good portion of the beginning of it at least, he did it alone. Noah built the ark for the saving of his household. So Genesis 6.22 says this, Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Okay, next on your outline. Faith condemns unbelievers. It says he prepared an ark by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Every single hammer blow, if there were hammers used, every single stage of the ark, As his neighbors watched him, as they saw what he was doing, Noah, it says in the New Testament, was a preacher of righteousness. And he spoke, he talked to his neighbors about the flood to come. And you can imagine what happened in his his neighborhood. Do Do you realize how foolish Noah must have looked? Right, Noah, you're building this monstrosity. Because you believe there's a flood coming. We've never seen rain. We don't even know what that is. It hasn't existed yet. And you think there's going to be so much water that this massive boat, which is, by the way, one and a half times the length of a football field in length, 
45 feet tall, I think I said, right? Um, no, 75 feet tall, 45 feet wide. 75 feet is about seven stories. That's a big ark. It's way bigger than this building. He was living in the present for the future, while the world was living only for the here and now. But You know, if we have faith like Noah, we may also be rejected by our generation. Okay. Deal with it. We may deal with people who reject us. We may deal with people who mock us, who criticize us, who laugh at us of the foolishness of our beliefs. And honestly, it looked foolish what he was doing. But the only credible thing he had was God's word, and he stood firm on the word of God. The Bible says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Life carried on normally. Everyday things just kept taking place. And there was old Noah out there building this ark. He looked pretty foolish. He was treated pretty foolishly and nobody believed him. And he did this for a hundred years. In Noah's day, God destroyed the earth with a flood. God told Noah ahead of time, and he believed, he believed God, and he lived accordingly. But God tells us that he is going to destroy the earth with fire. That is still future. Do you believe it? Do you believe it as much as Noah believed it? He's going to destroy the earth with fire. How does that affect our daily living? Because it's coming. It's real. And we could get out there and say things to our friends and our neighbors and our family and say, you know what? God is going to destroy the earth with a fire. And they're going to say, right. Okay, let me call up 911. Have you carried away? You know? How will your faith in God's word change the way you live? We may do things that look foolish to our neighbors. And you know, we are going to be in the minority. But remember, there was a time in history when only eight people were right. And they lived to tell about it. Everyone else died. At the end of the hundred years, God says this. Genesis 7.1 Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Noah and his family entered the ark and were saved. The rest of the world perished in the flood. Noah preached to his generation and they scoffed. Noah believed and he did not perish. Let me ask you a question. Do you have faith like Noah? Do you believe what God says in the same way that Noah did? I want to read a passage to you about what is future for planet Earth. It's real. It's just as real. We are actually, interestingly enough, in the same, I was going to say the same boat, but that's a bad pun. But we are in the same position as Noah was before the flood. Because we have been warned of a future calamity. We have been warned of something that is yet to come. Noah was warned, he feared God, and he prepared. We've been warned, do we fear God, and are we preparing? That's the question. Here's what 2 Peter 3 says. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You crazy Christians believe that Jesus is coming again. Right. We haven't seen him. We see no signs of it. Well, they're blind because there are plenty of signs of it. Everything has just continued on since the beginning of creation. But this is what God says about it. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. What he's saying is, look, 
things have not continued the same way from the beginning of creation. There once was a flood. We have a real example of a fulfillment of a warning from God, of a worldwide uh, catastrophe. Another one is coming. So he says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens, Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So if we have faith like Noah, it will change our lives. It will change the way we think and it will change the way we live. How will it change us? Well, we will flee the wickedness of the world. And it says that we will live lives of holiness. We will stop living like sinners who do not believe God but live godly lives. We will no longer live for the here and now, saying, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, but we will live knowing that Jesus is about to enter human history once again. Jesus is coming again. The earth is not permanent. It will be dissolved. Do we really have faith like Noah? Well, another example of um, faith is seen in the life of Abraham. So on your outline number 11, faith is unquestioning obedience. Hebrews 11:8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. God called Abraham. Now, Abraham was probably an idolater. Certainly the community in which he lived, Ur of the Chaldees, was an idolatrous country and city and people. And God called Abraham to pack his bags and get out of Ur. And he believed God and packed his bags and he left. It was unquestioning obedience. And really what this is is the first step Um, of repentance. Repentance is turning from what you're involved in, turning from your sin or your lifestyle or your uh, way of living and turning to God. That's repentance. It's a turn. It's an about face. And that's what Abraham did. Where was he going? I don't know. I mean, I do know, but he didn't know. He didn't know. What we do know is that Before we were saved, what we did was useless, fruitless, pointless, and sinful. And God has called us to something better. He has called us to something different. He has called us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, acknowledge him and he will direct our paths, just like he directed Abraham. Does it sound scary to throw your life into the wishes of of a God who you cannot see, in reality, there's no risk at all in believing God. And Abraham's life was forever altered. Abraham packed his bags. He left his hometown. He left his country. He left his people. He had no roadmap. He had no GPS. He simply trusted God to direct him where he was going to go. Faith is unquestioning Obedience. If the Lord tells you to do something, if the Lord tells you to go somewhere, you say, yes, Lord. That's faith. 
Even though we may not know where we are going, we are at peace because we know whom we are following. The Bible says that only his sheep follow him. And if you're not one of his sheep, you will not hear his voice because you do not believe. Jesus said that. He says, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Next on your outline, faith declares that we are resident aliens. By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. God promised Abraham that he would give him the land of Canaan. If God owns everything, which he does, and God says, I'm giving you the land of Canaan, then it belonged to Abraham. But Abraham did not take possession of the land. He lived only as a stranger, as a pilgrim, as a resident alien. I don't know if he had a card back then. Actually, you didn't even have to block it out. I had already messed with the numbers, so it's okay. Nobody can copy it. Nobody looks like me anyway. Nobody wants to look like me. <laughs> I love this card. I really do. I, I think it's a great card. So you're seeing what I have in my hand, except I have the real numbers here. It tells me that I am a resident. That means that I live here. I can live here in the United States. I'm allowed to live here and work and move and make money. And certainly pay taxes. That's all part of what I can do as a resident alien. I can dwell here. But it also tells me that I'm not only am I a resident, it tells me that I'm an alien. I belong to a foreign country. The USA is not really my home. And faith declares that we are all, as believers, that we are all resident aliens. We live in this world but we don't belong to this world. We belong to a foreign country, and that country is heaven. Our citizenship, the Bible says, is in heaven. It's not here in the good old USA. Sorry, Jake. <laughs> Ephesians 2.19 says this, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, since we are citizens of heaven, that means that we are simply passing through the United States of America. We don't belong here. We really don't. Since we're just passing through, we are told, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're passing through. Next on your outline, faith inspires us not to become settled in this world. In uh, Hebrews 11.9 it says, By faith he was dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, and I'm going to restate that, he, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What this means is that God took Abraham and he said, look, Abraham, I want to show you something. And as far as the eye can see, from north to south to east to west, as far as you can see, all of this land, the land of Canaan, it's all yours. Okay? God said that to him. And he took it and said, it's all yours, Abraham. And Abraham wasn't the least bit interested in real estate. He never settled down, even though all the land was his. He never built a house. He dwelt in tents throughout his stay on earth. He lived as a pilgrim. He lived as a stranger. He lived as a resident alien. He was just passing through. So there's a lesson for us in this passage. And there is a sense <clears throat> in which I live in Castro Valley. There is a sense in which Castro Valley belongs to me. And maybe you live in Fremont or Union City, and Fremont or Union City belongs to you. 
And if you've ever driven between here and Los Angeles and you go past all of those farm fields all the way down um, I-5, you've got the fruit trees, the almonds, the uh, citrus trees, you've got the smelly uh, place where all the cattle are. It's all yours. Every bit of it, it's yours. The farmers are just keeping it for us. But it all belongs to you. It all belongs to me. But I think it's really pleasing to the Lord when we say, thanks, Lord. I know it's mine. Thank you, Lord. But I don't need it now. I'll just let them carry on living on the property and taking care of it and taking care of the streets in Castro Valley and taking care of the sewers in Fremont and all that. I'll just let them do it. Thank you very much, Lord, but I'm not really all that interested. I'm content just to live here as a pilgrim. That's what Abraham did. The land of Canaan was his. And essentially he said, thanks, Lord, I know it's mine, but I'm going to live as a pilgrim here. I'm content to live as a resident alien. I'm really looking not for a town or a house or a place here. I'm looking for something different. It's the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What he's talking about is heaven. He's looking for heaven. Do you have faith like Abraham? Are you a settler here on planet Earth? Sometimes, actually, there was a bunch of um, commercials at one time about those who were settlers. They were settling for things, you know. Yeah. They, were, they were okay with everything, you know. Do you have faith like Abraham? Or are you a stranger and a pilgrim just passing through? Is earth your country? Or do you have your eyes fixed on the city? The city that God has made. The city whose foundations are the only foundations that really are solid and secure. You know, somebody, I remember saying, I wouldn't give a dime for the foundations of any house in the city of San Francisco. And I understand why. I'm a stranger and a pilgrim on earth. Some people think that I'm just strange. And they're probably right. Many, if not most of you, think that I'm crazy uh, because of the way we live. We live like gypsies going from place to place. Well, wait, that's not the right slide. That's the, that's the slide, okay. Yeah, we pack, but we don't pack quite that much. Over 11 years ago, we made a decision to live out of suitcases and move from house to house, house to apartment, house to hotel, and to reduce the clutter of things that we owned and simply move about as strangers and pilgrims. Yes, it is the way we produce income, that's true, but our lifestyle inspires us not to become too settled on earth. Everyone chooses a lifestyle. Our lifestyle demonstrates what we believe. And Abraham's lifestyle revealed what he believed. And what he believed is that he owned it all but he was quite comfortable living this way instead of uh, settling down on earth because he had his eye on the prize, the city, the country, heaven. And how we live demonstrates what we believe. So I want to ask you, as you think about the life of faith, what do you believe? What do you believe? Next, faith opens the barren womb. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Sarah is the first woman who is described in this chapter of faith. This picture is of a 90-year-old Middle Eastern woman. Now, I know that the Bible teaches us that Sarah was quite beautiful. So beauty is in the eye of the beholder, I think, right? This woman is 90 years old. She lives in the Middle East. And I I show you this picture simply to remind you how old Sarah was, 90 years old. And here is old Sarah, 
And God tells Sarah one day, Sarah, you're going to bear a child. You're going to have a son. And Sarah, by unbelief, laughed. She laughed at God. It's ridiculous. There has never been a 90-year-old woman in this condition have a child. It's not going to happen. And she laughed, unbelief. Sarah had the word of God. And you know, I have to, I'm not excusing Sarah, but I have to ask myself and I have to ask you the same question. How often has the Lord spoken to us through his word and we've laughed at him, scoffed him, said, it's not going to happen, Lord. It's just not going to happen. Okay? That's what Sarah did. She laughed at God at first. And this was her first response when the Lord showed, us, uh, showed her uh, his will. And sometimes it's our first response when the Lord shows us what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live, and it seems or may sound so outrageous that we may laugh in unbelief. But you know, Bill used to say this about people who were kind of messed up in their lives. He would say this. He would say, the last chapter has not been written. And I am so glad that God doesn't leave us with our first response. And he didn't leave Sarah that way either. Sarah was rebuked by the Lord, and she was challenged in her faith, challenged her unbelief. And it's apparent from what happened that she had a change of heart. And Sarah repented of her unbelief, and she grew in faith. And if you get nothing else out of the sermon today, that should be it. God can take you where you're at, even if you have sessions of unbelief. You repent of them, God can forgive you of your unbelief, and he can start you afresh. She believed God's word. And at 90 years old, God opened her womb, even though she was well past childbearing age, and she gave, he gave to her her one and only son. Well, she also had a husband. Okay, takes two. But he was a hundred. He's older than she was. From this unlikely couple, neither one of those really is Abraham or Sarah. They're just a picture, an illustration of how old they were. From this unlikely couple were born an innumerable multitude. Every Jewish person who has ever been born is a direct descendant of Abraham and Sarah, the 90-year-old and the 100-year-old. The Jewish race came into existence as a result of faith, the faith of Abraham and Sarah. So Noah is glad that Sarah and Abraham had faith, and all his children are as well. And I think Sharon is too, that Noah exists. <laughs> She's shaking her head up and down. That's a good sign. All right, next, faith makes heaven real. Verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It says, these all died in faith. I was actually looking for a tombstone. This one says, the previous owner of this tombstone is not here. He has become a living stone I don't know if you get that or not. I was looking for a picture of a tombstone that, that, that demonstrated that the person whose body was in the grave actually had faith in the Lord. And I couldn't find one. I was thinking, okay, I'm sure there are some out there somewhere. But I was thinking, um, you know, waiting for the shout or something like that, you know. I couldn't find a single one like that, so I'm going to have to do it on mine. Okay, Krista, remind me later. We'll... Add that to the things we have to do. 
It says these all died in faith. When they died, they were still believing God. And it says that they had not received the promises yet, meaning that God promised them. They didn't see the fulfillment of the promise, but even as they took their last breath, they said, essentially, God, I still trust you. Even with my last breath on earth, even though I don't see it yet, I still trust you. They did not receive the fulfillment of the promise while they lived, but the promises were just as sure, just as certain as having them, and they died believing that God would ultimately fulfill his word. Faith, as we started off in our series, we reminded ourselves that faith is the evidence of things not seen. They embrace the promises. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And they declared clearly that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, it's interesting. We often, when we think of the Old Testament saints, we often think of them only concerned with the earthly blessings. You know, they, they, they were promised land. They were promised uh, heritage. They were promised children. They were pro- all earthly blessings. And we often think, yeah, the, only, the Old Testament saints, they were only concerned about the blessings on earth. Not so. Abraham in a sense, forsook his earthly blessings while he waited for the heavenly blessings that were to come. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Um, If you were at uh, Marie's funeral, I mentioned this in the funeral, that the Bible describes heaven as a homeland, as a country, as a city, and as a house. Jesus said, "...in my Father's house are many mansions." If Abraham was seeking an earthly homeland, Ur was still there. He could have gone back to Ur of the Chaldees, but he chose not to. He chose instead to desire a better thing, something better. The country Abraham desired is the same country I desire. And I hope it's the same country you desire. And that is my father's house, where there are many mansions, where Jesus is. It's heaven. That's what I'm looking for. I hope it's the same country you desire. And if it is, the Bible says here in this passage, God is not ashamed to be called your God. Wow. God, the God of the universe, looks down from heaven and sees your faith in him. And he says, I'm happy he's my child. I'm happy she's mine. He's not ashamed to be called our God. All right, slide number 29. Faith will be tested. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. You know, if you're going to grow in faith, your faith will be tested. James chapter 1 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When we come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, all it takes is childlike faith. We just simply say to the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I know that the Bible teaches that... Jesus Christ died on the cross, and I know that that was him paying the penalty for my sin. I don't understand all the ins and outs of it. I don't understand all the details of it, but I simply believe what you've said. I trust you. And that's childlike faith. I trust you. Lord, take and care for my soul for all eternity. That's what we're saying, childlike faith. And The Lord is so pleased with that that he gives us everything. He gives us the righteousness of Christ. He gives us a home in heaven. He gives us uh, riches in heaven beyond imagination. And he's trusting us with all of these things. But as the Lord looks at our lives, we say, okay, you took your first step. And that was good. Do you remember taking your first step as a little, little boy? Do you remember that? Do you remember how it was kind of Did you have to hold on to something? So how long did it take you 
to go from doing this to being able to go like this. Was it a week? A month? Ten years? Not even ten yet. So you're walking pretty good now, right? So here's the thing. The Lord sees us take our first baby step, and our first baby step is simply trusting him for salvation. But we would be so sad if our children never took their second step or third step or walked or ran. And the Lord looks down upon us and says the same thing, that look, it's great you took your first step, but the life of faith is walking with me. It's being with me. It's following me day by day. And he wants us to take the next step and the next step and the next step. That's called growth. It's called faith, living by faith. And so really, when we fall into tests, when we fall into trials in life, when the Lord allows them into our life, it's so that we might be strengthened in our faith in him that the Lord's word is true in every situation of life. It doesn't matter what you face. His word is faithful. It's good for all situations in life. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We say we have faith in him. As we walk with him day by day, it proves our faith. He tests it, and we prove our faith by the way we respond to him, trusting him. And you know, when we trust him, it, it, it's like us praising the Lord. It's a way, it's a means by which we can praise the Lord and give him honor and glory. All right, number 17 on your list, faith does not quit. He who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. I think probably the greatest test in Abraham's faith was the offering up of his only begotten son, his unique son, God had commanded him to offer up Isaac, even though Isaac was the promised son. And you know, the thing that I love about the way Abraham responded is that it says in, the, in Genesis that he rose up early. He did not delay. He said, the Lord's calling me to do this. I'm going to rise up early. And he went up to Mount Moriah to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Faith invents things, too. And in this case, faith invented resurrection. He did this because he was concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Now, we've heard this story. If you were raised here at Calvary or you're raised in a Christian home, you've heard this story over and over and over again about Isaac, uh, Abraham and Isaac. Imagine hearing this for the first time. If you remember, there was a film put, about, put out by New Tribes Missions called Itau. The word Itau is from the Mauk people of Papua New Guinea, and it means it is truth. And as they heard the word of God for the first time, that was their response to it. Itau, it is truth. And uh, it was wonderful to see them respond that way. There was a man uh, who was sent out as a missionary. His name was Mark Zook. And he went to Papua New Guinea to reach this tribe. Mark is pictured there in the, in the uh, blue shirt. Um, the only white guy there. <laughs> and he um, went there to reach this tribe who knew nothing about the Lord, knew nothing about the gospel, had never heard the stories that we know so well. After some time, Mark began to tell the Mount people about the Lord, um, and he used uh, a method similar to Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. When he got to the story of Abraham offering up Isaac, so they would meet together as a tribe, and they would meet twice a day, first thing in the morning and then last thing at night. And so as they gathered together in the morning, he told them the story of Abraham and how he was going to, God told him to offer Isaac on the altar, and how 
Abraham rose early. He went up with Isaac. Isaac had the, uh, the wood on his back. And Isaac asked him, Father, here's the wood, here's the fire. Where's the lamb? And he said, God will provide a lamb. And he takes Isaac and he lays him on the altar. And as Mark is telling the story, he's got Abraham with the knife ready to kill his son. And he stops the story. He says, we'll finish it tonight. All day long, the people are shocked at such a story as this. But it was very interesting to me as the film progressed, Mark says this, it presented a dilemma for the people. Some of the men of the village were troubled by the dilemma, and they wrestled all day long with what was, had already been taught to them, and what was Abraham going to do? And this is what one of the men said as he thought through the issue. Obviously, Abraham was a godly man, so he would obey God. But it was through Isaac that the Savior of the world would come, and he was promised. I knew that somehow Abraham would obey, but God must save Isaac's life, perhaps by a substitute lamb. Remember, they had never heard the story before. Mark said, before we finished the story that night, four different men individually suggested that Abraham would obey God, but God would somehow intervene and save Isaac's life by providing a substitute lamb. That's faith. That's faith in the character of God that they had already learned about. This must have been what Abraham wrestled with all through the night. It says he rose up early. It, didn't tell, it doesn't say that he slept, but he must have wrestled with this all through the night. Lord, it's in Isaac that all the nations shall be blessed. It's in Isaac uh, that uh, the blessing will come. He's the promised son, and yet you've asked me to take his life. And then somewhere along the way, he had faith to believe in something that had never happened before, that God would allow him to take Isaac's life because he was going to obey, but God would raise him from the dead. Wow, that's faith. Abraham did obey God, and his faith went beyond all expectation. When I read, a story, read the story and I think about it in kind of a fresh way again, I have to ask myself, do I have faith, the same faith that Abraham had, that he was so confident, so sure of the promises and the character of God that he could believe that God was able to do absolutely anything to fulfill his word? Brothers and sisters, God did not fail Abraham. And God will not fail you. He will not fail you if you trust him. So finally, the last point is that faith has absolute confidence in the promises of God. There are three individuals listed here, and I'll read about them. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Verse 22, By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. So let's take them up one at a time. Isaac's faith is seen by blessing Jacob and Esau concerning things to come, things that had not yet happened. He spoke of the future as though it were the present, showing that he had absolute confidence in the word of God and in the promises of God. Jacob's faith is seen at the time of his death. He blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And it says in the scripture that he had poor eyesight, but he had 20-20 spiritual vision. He also spoke of the future as if it were present, proving that he also had absolute confidence in the promises of God. 
Joseph had the same confidence in the promises of God because he spoke of God's future deliverance of Israel from Egypt. So he was still in Egypt. And he said to the children of Israel, listen, there is coming a day because God has promised when Israel will no longer be slaves, will no longer be slaves in um, Egypt. We will not be here forever. How do I know that? Because God has promised. And when God delivers us from this land, you be sure to take my bones to the promised land. He had confidence, absolute confidence in the promises of God. The exodus was years away, yet Joseph spoke about it as if it had already taken place. If we have faith like Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, we can speak of future things as present realities. We will also live like them with heaven as our home. And we will see the future as they did and have absolute confidence in every promise of God's word that is yet to be fulfilled. There are still many promises that God has made. They are still yet to be fulfilled. And the one that I'm looking most forward to right now is that Jesus is coming again. I am waiting for that shout. You know, when I, not every time, but most of the time when I sign my letters, um, I, I say, yours awaiting the shout. And the reason I say that is because that's what I'm doing. I'm awaiting the shout. That's next. How about you? Is heaven your homeland? Are you living in faith, looking forward to that day? And is it affecting the way you live day by day? Let's close in prayer, and then I think, Matt, you have a closing hymn. Is that right? Okay. Father, we thank you so much for these men and women of faith. We thank you, Lord, for lives that lived... It's out so differently than the world, so uh, unusual. Um, and Lord, yet it just thrills our heart when we read these stories of, of these people who trusted you. They had your bare word, and that was enough to stand on. And Lord, they may have looked foolish in the eyes of the world, in, in the eyes of their friends and family, relatives, but Lord, they still stood firm on your word, knowing that what you promise you will fulfill. Lord, help us to live that way day by day. Help us to take, take your word seriously. Help us, Lord, to take your promises as our own and enjoy them uh, with confidence as these ones did as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.